Welcome to the Salem First Young Adult Podcast. This is a little bit of a special episode. While normally it would just be a recording of me talking, giving some message or devotional, or maybe a conversation with someone else, interview style, this is just the audio of my sermon that I presented on Sunday morning uh, as a part of our church, All Church Journey, called Proximity Principles. And I won't explain too much into detail about what it is, but just for some context, As a church, we've been looking at a series called One at a Time and learning how to impact the world, to share the message of Christ, to be on gospel mission by just focusing on one person at a time. And this was a continuation on week three. If you're listening to this now, it's it's currently the end of February 2024. Then it's not too late to join in with a group. We'd love to see you a part of that, but... If anything, I hope that you find some encouragement from this message. So thanks for tuning in. We'll see you around. Please be seated. That's right. Is he worthy? I think he is. Is he worthy of our devotion? Is he worthy of our redemption? Absolutely, right? Man, I just love that. I love, let's just take a moment to recognize that the Spirit of God is in this place. And that he is moving and where two or more and gathered in your name, I am there. When Jesus said that, he was referring to an ancient Jewish saying that they would say, where the, word, where the two or more are gathered to read the Torah, Shekinah, the glory of God. And that's what Jesus was referring to himself as the glory of God. And we receive that glory of God now as the spirit of God dwelling in us, moving through us, working through us. And it doesn't just end here on Sunday morning, although we can come here and we, we sing these songs, we praise him, we put Jesus on the throne in our hearts. It carries through with us through our weeks and through our lives and how we live. And we have that vital connection with the Spirit that gives us the power, his power, not our own power, for ministry. Ministry outside the doors of this church. And you know, that's really what this whole One at a Time series is about you know, we started off, uh, Pastor Tim, he talked about uh, how Jesus, despite all the crowds and all the people surrounding him and seeking his attention, would narrow down his attention to the one. And, and that's where we see a lot of Jesus' powerful times of ministry were happening when he narrowed down to one person. And then we heard from Pastor Josh, and this is very key, this is vital, where he taught us about God needs to work in us before he can work through us. This morning, we're going to continue on this all-church journey that we're kind of in the middle of now, and we're starting to get more excited and more amped and more pumped up, and we're going to learn about what it means to really live in proximity to the one, intentionally. So for those of you who do not know who I am, my name is Bryant. I am the young adult pastor, so I'm always hanging out with the 18 to 30-year-olds. And I, I attend the second service, so if you haven't seen me before, that's who I am. Good to meet you all at once. Hopefully, I can meet you one-on-one at some point. But I'm honored that I was selected to continue on this journey and be the one to prevent this present, not prevent, to present this morning's sermon. That would be a big difference, right? That might be a problem. 
But I'm here to present the, the message this morning, and, and I've been praying, and I really believe that God is going to equip us, encourage us this morning, and, and light that fire for what it takes to have the desire to seek the one, and to sacrifice our own self-comfort in order to live in proximity with the one. You know, preeminent to this whole discussion is the realization that today, you, me, all of the believers, we have this commission, the job that we are set apart to do, but this job isn't like any other job where we clock out on the weekends, we get a certain wage, you know, uh, it's not like that at all. The job that we're doing, this mission is all-consuming, and every part of our lives should be spent in pursuit of this mission. That's why we call it the Great Commission, because it's so great. It didn't start with you and me. In fact, it started with Jesus himself. And the mission that we're on is the same exact mission that Christ began when he lived on this earth. So if you have not already realized and accepted that mission for yourself, then I'm sorry, but we might have left you in the dust with this whole one-at-a-time all-church journey. Don't worry, though. It's never too late to jump in. It's, we have the perfect example to look to, after all, to give us instruction on how to jump into this mission, and that is Christ himself and his life and what's recorded in the gospel. God is always inviting you into a deeper relationship with him, and it's never too late to participate in the mission of Christ. Dare I say, it is expected of you as you mature in your faith. And if you're not there yet, there's grace. My prayer is that you will, even by the end of this service, or that you will enter into a season where you'll be called deeper and you'll be inspired by God alone, God himself, to want to go out and live on that mission. And if you are there, my prayer is that you would be re-inspired in your life ministry to rely on God for the power of ministry and to be his servant. I'm going to pray before we continue. Lord God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this whole journey that you're set our, setting our church on. I pray, Lord, that it would bear great fruit. And not great fruit because we are intelligent, wise, powerful, whatevers. But because, Lord, you are blessing it and you are anointing it. And it all comes from you alone. You are the source for all fruit in ministry, God. And so I, I pray for you to bless this I pray that you would speak through this morning and through this week as we learn about proximity principles, and it's in your name I pray, amen. Now, those of you who are following along in the book or in a group, and if you aren't, it's not too late. We really encourage you to dive in on that, but for those of you who are, you, you know that uh, I don't want to just beat a dead horse up here, so I, I'm not just going to present to you the content of the chapter that we're reading this week. I'm going to I'm going to look at an avenue of proximity principles, but in order to really get the full scope, I want to encourage you to think about uh, joining in with a group or by reading the book. It's not too late for that. So I already explained what, how we got here with Pastor Tim first and Josh, and now here you are listening to me. <laughs> but really just to boil it down to the simplest dictionary definition about proximity, to be in proximity with someone is simply to be near to them. 
So sometimes, though, we don't really want to be near in proximity with someone. You know, we, we have the propensity to avoid messy situations or messy people. For a lot of us, we don't want to deal with other people's dirt. For, for some, maybe there's a couple reasons why. Maybe we feel like we have enough dirt in our own lives and enough, enough problems that we're dealing with. We're already overwhelmed by that, so we don't want to, you know, have to deal with someone else's dirt. Or maybe for others, it could be like, I, I just want to protect myself and my family from other people's dirt. So we avoid that. We avoid being in proximity to them. Maybe when I say this, giving the examples, you, maybe you think of your neighbors with junk in their yard who can be heard yelling at each other late into the night. Maybe you think of your lazy coworker who never stops talking and honestly is a little bit annoying. <laughs> maybe you glanced at the person sitting next to you right now and you said, Lord, give me strength. I'm already in proximity with that guy. <laughs> But let's think about this. In all seriousness, let's, let's think about this. There's really two reasons why we don't engage with certain people for the gospel. If you, if you really boil it down, all, all the, all the like, small reasons we give kind of boil down into two big categories. We either lack the confidence, i.e. due to the fear of man. You know, you might catch yourself saying something like, I'm not good enough, I'm not smart enough, or I'm not clean enough to represent Christ. Or we might lack the sense of need to do it. We have kept ourselves distant from the people in our lives because uh, I just, I don't want to get into it with them. I, I just can't. And honestly, I don't even really care. You know, I have three thoughts for this morning that I hope will help us in our battle with fear or apathy so that we can live in proximity, intentional proximity to others. So first, first thought for this morning that applies here is, we are blessed to be a blessing. You know, this concept uh, is the promise and prophecy for the people of God since they were first selected from the desert to be a nation fathered by Abraham. And what, what was the meaning of this prophecy? It was that the Savior would come from this family, Jesus, right? We accept that Jesus was the promised Messiah, is the promised Messiah. And that's how the people of God were blessed to be a blessing. From the very beginning, it has been the status quo, the expectation and the promise that we will be blessed, we have been blessed, and with that blessing, we go out to be a blessing with others. Now, just because Jesus fulfilled that part of the prophecy, it didn't end there. This concept of blessed to be a blessing still applies to each one of our lives and how we live. You see, it's very simple, and we naturally feel this. Redeemed people want to see others redeemed. It brings us so much joy when someone gives their life to God, or when someone gets baptized, or when someone learns something new about him. One of my greatest joys in my position is when I get to walk with someone for a while and see them get it. That moment when it really clicks and they become passionate about their relationship with God. 
I, I love that, you know, because redeemed people want to see others redeemed. Likewise, other side of the coin, um, those who love God are hurt when their friends don't love God. Or when family members walk away. Or when kids make decisions that we know hurts God's heart, it hurts our heart. See, redeemed people want to see others redeemed. As fulfilling and complete the redemption we experience on this earth is, we don't forget about the, that it's only a dim reflection of the glory we will experience when we spend eternity with God, right? Even still, knowing that our redemption here is so sweet to us that we cannot help but spread the message to everyone that we know. And if you can't relate to this, that's okay. You may simply not be there yet. Or you just need to grow in knowledge and the Spirit needs to reveal to you how redeemed you are and at what cost. So I'm young. I've only been a Christian in name for 27 years. A lot of us have been walking with God longer than that. I've only been a born-again believer who owns my own faith and lives out my faith for about nine years. And this summer marks 10 years after I had a life-changing experience with God and began desperately seeking for more of Him when I, when I began having a strong hunger for the Lord. And to this day, and I expect for the rest of my life, I will learn more and more about exactly what Christ did for me on that cross. But when you start to see your own sin that you didn't even realize, that's when you become aware of how redeemed you actually are. And it causes a new response of love to God. And our response to that should be to help others also experience redemption as though it is the only thing that truly matters in life. Because we believe that it is. So looking to our complete redemption, this, this future promise of eternity with God, you know, we can look at our hope from Revelation chapter 21, 1 through 4. You know, and it was perfect that John, John brought us into Revelation, and, and I love that. It doesn't need to be some scary book, and for a lot of time in our evangelical faith, we really brought a lot of fear into Revelation, but in reality, it's a promise of God's victory for us, and so that's why we can look at it Look at that book without fear of the, the doom and gloom of the end of everything, but we can look at it as the complete redemption, the fulfillment of what God began since man first stabbed him in the back. We will experience complete redemption. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eye. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things had passed away. Amen. Isn't that beautiful? That's the redemption that we're looking toward. That is complete redemption. And we get to experience a piece of that future reality now in each individual salvation. 
but we will someday see the full redemption, and that is a promise from God. That is the promise of God. So I'm going to tell a story really quick about my first tattoo. (laughs) It involved a very sharp pencil walking down the hallway of my middle school. You know, the classic TV show, bump into someone, your books go flying everywhere, and I ended up with a pencil in my hand. You know, it's one of these fingers somewhere. And, uh, you know, left a little bit of graphite. Luckily, we don't have lead pencils anymore, but, you know, left a little bit of graphite in there, and now I have this mark on my finger, and it's never gone away, and kind of expect there to be, expect it to be there my whole life, right? Um, when I'm raised again, I will no longer bear the marks of my suffering, right? Scripture promises we will be made completely new with new bodies. It's interesting, Jesus still did though, right? But the difference there is his scars have great meaning. His scars are important. Ultimately though, this little detail doesn't really matter so much, but what does matter is this question. Will I still wrestle with the marks on my heart that are addictions, hurts, mental health? The answer is absolutely not. And that is why we believe in freedom from these things is obtainable now, here and now, in this time. As we experience a piece of the redemption that is to come, we believe that we can find freedom from addictions, hurts, mental health, that God can bring those to us. That's, That's where we believe that's possible. And now if you believe that the mission of Christ is to reconcile all things to himself, even though we have scars, even though we may stumble, God will still use us during the process of our redemption to redeem others in lives, in our lives. So miracles here and now are a look into the future reality of a new creation. So, Going back to the two things that sort of pulls us out of the mission, fear, lack of confidence, or apathy, our relationship with our Redeemer causes us to be impassioned to help others find freedom and be saved. That is the antidote for apathy, is recognizing our own redemption. You know, too many Christians are nonchalant about ministry and the impact that they are supposed to have on other people's lives? That's apathy. But what about fear? Moving on to this, the second sort of blockage there. My second thought for this morning will help those of us who are weakened by fear. And that is, ministry is a miracle. It needs to be recognized in such as such. You know, the, the folly of the impassioned often impatient Christian is the desire to be in control and to force ministry to happen. You know, in in doing so, they don't often realize that the ministry they are attempting to accomplish is akin to shoving a square peg through a round hole, trying to force something to happen because I'm excited, I'm passionate, I want it to happen, I need it to look this way, so I'm going to make it happen. You know, I have lived out this conundrum 
for a long time, for a time of my life, God has shown me that the really, the only antidote for that is humility and being humbled. (laughs) Being humbled doesn't feel good, does it? No one really likes to be humbled. We like to be humble, but that kind of seems like a catch-22, doesn't it? Yeah. Some of us, like myself, are too dumb to figure these things out just by reading scripture or, you know, times of prayer or people encouraging us. Some of us need to be knocked on our butts before we're willing to learn anything. So the nice way to put this is self-discovery, right? That'd be the politically correct term. Self-discovery. And when we have given an intense effort for so long by our own strength, and we think that by our own cunning wisdom, we'll make it work out good, we inevitably get burned out and disappointed. And unfortunately, some in that season of disappointment just throw in the towel. You know, that would be the the apathy. Like, okay, maybe I wasn't always apathetic about reaching people for Christ, but I really gave it a strong effort. I tried so hard, and I just didn't see the fruit that I wanted to see, and so I'm, I'm, I'm done with that. I'm gonna throw in the towel. For me, and for anyone in that situation, we should really instead learn the lesson of utter dependence on the Spirit, the power of the Spirit, the power of God, utter dependence on that. So you might have noticed my little cart over here I'm going to grab. I've got some, uh, some oranges and a juicer. Does anyone in here make fresh orange juice? You know, my wife is, okay, one person, great. My wife is really picky about orange juice, and because almost all of it nowadays is made from concentrate, I don't really know what that means, but according to my wife, it's a bad thing, so we have to really shop around before we find that made from real oranges or whatever logo on the bottle. So I'm going to make some orange juice this morning as a picture. I've got my uh, food safe pocket knife here. And by the way, if anyone has seen uh, a Benchmade pocket knife with a brown handle laying around, that's mine. I lost it a couple weeks ago. I'd appreciate it back. (laughs) So when I say ministry, I'm not only talking about corporate church operations, although I will include the work of the church in that, but I'm also referring to your personal life ministry. Your own life ministry, that's right. You have a ministry. And here's the problem. When things are going well, get that out of your way. Things are going well, we've got a whole bunch of people at church, we're talking to people in our lives about God, someone makes a commitment for Jesus, and we take credit for it. All this delicious juice, right? Man, that's a juicy orange. It's the first time I've ever used an orange juicer, so don't judge me if there's like a proper way to do this. <laughs> but anyway, you know, you're, you're, doing, you're doing that, and you make some, you're like, wow, look at what I made. Man, that is so good. Look at all these people at church. Man, I am, our YouTube videos, they're getting thousands of views. I'm super good at this ministry thing. We're putting credit where credit's not due. And... 
I, I really, it's been years God's been working on my heart, but I really started to be able to put this lesson to words when I recognized what happened when people step up in the church and start leading, you know, the congregation. So for a long time, I'm going to juice the other half of this, I was uh, trying things out by my own power and taking the credit when things are good, whenever I'd get squeeze a whole lot of juice out of this orange, and I'd say, man, things are going great. I'm awesome. <laughs> Maybe I wouldn't say I'm awesome. I'd say thank you to God for it, but still deep down inside, I was thinking like, I made this. But that led to a problem because when things weren't good, right, when I would face challenges, when stuff wasn't as effective as I wanted it to be, I would beat myself up for it because I not only took credit for the good things, for the fruit, for the stuff that was going well, but I also took on all the credit for anything bad or just disappointing, you know? Then, people, this is, this is very recent, I'll give an example of this. Uh, we had some young adults in the church start stepping up to plan and lead events. And you know, we just went through a whole summer season of young adult ministry where I was trying all these different ideas and trying all this and trying to invite people and, you know, we'd get 10, 15 here or there. It's great. It's where God had us at that time. But because I was taking credit for it, I was feeling really bad that, like, wait a minute, this is my, this is my role at this church. Why are we not seeing more fruit from this? I want to see more. Then uh, we had some young adults step up even just this last few months and put on these events, and lo and behold, 46 people showed up for some stupid thing called Machinja. <laughs> no offense. It's a weird name, though, Machinja. <laughs> and, you know, um, I, I can't take credit for the work that God is doing. And what I learned, you know, I can't take credit for Machinja I don't even like the name of it. I can't take credit for that. That was someone else's heart. And God blessed it and brought people together. We had a whole bunch of young adults, had a good time, made some new connections. That's what, it's all, that's what that event is all about. You know, and it's humbling. We need to remember that at the end of the day, we aren't really very good at what we do. But we don't have to be. Not by my own strength, right? Not by my own strength that anything happens. But prayer is central to that. Because we can say not by our own strength all that we want and just kind of, you know, let it go. But if we're not praying, then whose strength is it? We're not calling upon the power of God to do things in our world and in our lives and through us, then it's not by my own strength, it's not by anyone's strength, right? Prayer is central to that. If you're not praying for your own ministry, you are going on your own wit, strength, and power, and you will never be effective that way. So let go of yourself and yield to God's effectiveness. You will never be able to force a good ministry out of yourself. 
you will fail. You will be squeezed out like an orange, you know. I wanted, this is the real reason I wanted to do this illustration. Because when we go by our own strength and wit and we squeeze every bit of juice we can out of ourselves and give it all that we got because by our own grr we're going to make it happen, you end up looking like this. And that's not very pretty, is it? <laughs> this isn't what God wants for you. When God calls us to take part in his mission and his ministry, he's not saying, turn yourself into this by grinding until you burn out. This is, this is burnout. No. What he means is, I'll, I'll, I'll say, I have, God has the power. God has the strength to make anything that we do effective. So let the Lord be your strength. In your evangelism, as you look for the one, don't go by earthly wisdom. Instead, build your life on utter reliance on the Lord that comes from prayer and yielding. You won't debate anyone into heaven. Debating isn't evangelism. Living life in proximity to people is evangelism. So we will experience hardship, and if you have not already established a reliance on God's strength by the time this hardship comes, it's far more difficult to begin relying on God after that hardship comes. You know, I have seen people in my own life, and I'm sure we all have, who did not truly rely on God completely before the hardship came, and their relationship with God faltered the moment things got difficult. So how many times does God need to say something for it to be true? Once. One time, right? God's not, God doesn't need to say it a whole bunch of times for it to be true, but so many times we doubt our calling in the face of failure and trials. So you'll never be able to force a good ministry out of yourself. You will fail. You will be squeezed out like an orange. No one wants that. You need to let the Lord be your strength and rely on him. So a, a burden for others, a desire to share our redemption with others, causes us to disregard our comfort zones and to serve. In order to serve well, we need to rely on God's strength. So in regards to the institution of the church, going back to that example I gave with the young adult ministry, people will invite people to the things that they are leading. They want to see it succeed. The church needs you guys to lead things. We've seen it in the young adult ministry. Like I said, it's, it's awkward to invite people to something that you just attend. Something that you're just, yeah, I, I go do this thing once a week. It's, it's really awkward to invite somebody to that. But when you're involved and you own it, and you're like, I'm a part of making this what it is, then you want to bring the people in your life into the fold. And that the same thing, you know, I was talking about the corporate church, the same thing for your own personal walk with God. When we're spectators and not active in our walk with Christ, we lack the fervor it takes to really seek out the one. So just like learning about your redemption allows you to get past apathy, or yes, apathy, and sense the actionable need for you to be in proximity with others, recognizing that you yourself do not hold the power for successful ministry but God's power is what works through you to accomplish you will
push through the fear of man, which prevents you from being in proximity to others. So I'm going to wrap it up. If we take these two concepts and blend them together so we can apply being in proximity to others, let's, let's apply that. So for the, I'm, I'm going to pray before we do that though because I just feel like this might be a moment where someone is excited and they say, yeah, I want to get past the fear of man. I want to reject apathy and, and I want to start really living out my life ministry. So God, I pray that whoever is in this room that you are speaking to, you are, call it conviction, call it encouragement. God, whoever it is you're calling up, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would shake the shackles of fear that you would shake the shackles of apathy and remove those from their heart. Allow them to lean on you and you alone for the strength to go out and live out your mission and spread the message of Christ, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So now that we've been freed from the things that prevent us from focusing in on the one and being intentional with them to help them learn the love of Christ, Let's talk exactly about how to do this. Being in proximity with others doesn't always happen naturally. Most of the time, we do have to make an effort. So in our book, One at a Time, uh, our author, he points out the story of Philip and the eunuch in Acts. And it's a story of how Philip was praying and the Spirit led him to say, go chase after that chariot. There's, there's a eunuch in there, an Ethiopian eunuch, Go chase and be near it. Be in proximity to it. And Philip runs up, runs alongside the chariot, and begins talking with him. Key in that story is, one, Philip listened to the Spirit and acted. He didn't just say, okay, all right, uh, Lord, I pray that you would bless the eunuch, and then called it good. He didn't just, you know, say, oh, man, I really hope that wherever that chariot's going, there's a Christian there to talk to that guy. No, he... He followed the Spirit, and he put his action. He ran to the chariot. The other thing about that story is that any, anyone who would have seen the Ethiopian eunuch wouldn't have thought God was for him. It, it, it wasn't even a thought that you would pursue that kind of a person for God. So it really challenges us to look at that story. I want to read the quote from... Uh, our book. It says, God is going to put you in close proximity to people who are far from him and give you divine appointments to share Jesus with them, to show up for them, and you won't be able to stay where you are. So I'm encouraging you to be in proximity with people already in your life, whether from work or the grocery store, your neighborhood, but I don't want to overlook the opportunity to go further. You know, as a pastor, I don't often get to interact with non-Christians in the ministry context. Most of what I do is really inward-focused, right? Especially since my number one role is equipping others for ministry. In order to get in proximity with non-believers from the community, I started helping out with a YWAM ministry called Gospel Focus. And we set up tables either downtown or at Chemeketa with banners that get people's attention, and we just... Try to have conversations with anyone who's willing to talk. And uh, there's this one table that we use called Take Your Pick. And we put out all these different symbols of different religions. We have like a, a Torah, 
we have a Buddha statue, we have a crystal ball, we have a Book of Mormon, we have our Bible, you know, just all these different, we have a Charles Darwin book, you know, and the whole idea is just to get people talking about what they believe. So we have it out, and uh, one, one morning I was out there, and this old man named Jeff comes by. I said, hey, take your pick, what do you believe? And he took a long time to consider, and he pointed out the Charles Darwin book, and he said, probably this would best describe it. And that just opened the door. I began asking, well, how'd you come to that conclusion? Why do you believe this? And when he'd share something, I'd ask for clarification, and listen, and listen, and we talked for about an hour, and he had to split, so I said, hey, you know, I'm a Christian, I'm out here. Just, he, he wasn't willing to hear anything I had to say at that point. But by divine appointment, the next time I was out there, I see Jeff walking across the street, and I wave him down. I'm like, hey, hey, come, come over here. How have you been? I haven't seen you for a little while, and we, we talked, and once again, it, it went deep fairly quickly because he's a thinker, and he wanted to talk about philosophy and all this stuff, and so I didn't talk hardly at all in these conversations. I just asked questions. Like, how, really the most important question to ask is, how did you come to that conclusion? And people will talk and talk and talk about what they believe, and what that's doing is building relational rapport. And so I asked for his phone number to get coffee with him to have a follow-up conversation. And, uh, you know, by, by then, that after about four hours of talking combined, you know, he asked... So you're a Christian that's really, that's kind of interesting because like any Christian I've known, they've never really cared to ask what I believe or what I think. All that they want to do is, the way he described it is he said, any Christian I've ever talked to felt like they had a sheet of glass over their eyes and they weren't really listening to me. They were just trying to think of ways to jump in and correct me or to like say, say what they believed or they didn't really care. But when I was talking to Jeff and just asking him what he believed, he said he felt like he could tell that I was actually listening and asking clarifying questions and really trying to figure out what he believed. And because of the trust that I built in just four hours of conversation broken up into couple-hour chunks, you know, uh, he was willing to ask me my testimony, and I shared the gospel with him. And, you know... He, he didn't give his life to Christ in those moments. He was a, a lifelong atheist, hardened heart. He said he was perfectly content with the fact that he's in his late 80s and he's going to be dying soon and there will be nothingness for him. It's sad. It's heartbreaking for us to hear that. No hope. But the fact that he had gone 80 plus years without a Christian ever sharing their testimony or sharing the gospel with him. Who, who knows? I haven't talked to him for a year. Who knows where he's at now, if he's still alive. Maybe a seed was planted. But I can't get upset that it wasn't a tear fest and he broke down on his knees and gave his life to the Lord right in that moment. You know, it's not for me to know what kind of great impact that had on him because it's not by my own power or strength. I didn't have to say anything super smart or act like I knew the answer to all of his philosophical questions. All I had to ask was, how do you believe, you know, wh where'd you, what do you believe? Where'd you come from? <laughs> and because of that, it built up enough trust that he was able to, for the first time ever, hear a Christian's testimony and hear the gospel. So that's an example of being in proximity 
with the one. It's not always a intimidating, you have to have the answers. In fact, in my experience, it's never been that. Because it's all about relying on God's strength. So to be in proximity with others, you need to be intentional about listening. That's listening to the Spirit and relying on Him to reveal and when it's the right time to say something, but also listening to the one you're in proximity with. So to wrap all this up, I want to ask yourself, I want you to ask yourself some rhetorical questions. Who do you avoid living in proximity with? How are you serving the church? And how are you serving God in your personal life? When was the last time you had a spiritual conversation with a non-believer? And when was the last time you invited someone to church? Coworker, friend, acquaintance, neighbor? Do you lack the confidence to do it or the relationship to do it? Don't forget that it is not possible to be in relationship with someone without first being in proximity to them. So don't forget, if you feel conviction when you think about those questions, don't take on guilt or any of that. Just rely on God. Just start seeking Him. You know, the, the power of the Spirit works through the humblest of packages. So go out and be humble vessels for the Lord. That's all I have for you this morning. I'm going to pray. God, thank you. I pray that you will continue to work on our hearts through this all-church journey and uh, help us to be effective for your kingdom, God. In your name I pray, amen.